On this episode of the podcast, I continue my conversation with Joshua Erickson for our series on the Feast and Holy Days of the Jewish Calendar. As Mormons, one of our central tenets of faith is this idea of restoration. Now we know that the Feast and Holy Days were instituted by God anciently and were observed by the Savior Himself. This leads to the question that should we as Mormons give greater attention to the Jewish calendar and can we glean something special from an understanding and even participation in these holidays? Now I strongly encourage those who haven't listened to episode number 15 and number 27 to stop here and listen to those first. Episode 15 sets the table for the series and episode number 27 is on Rosh Hashanah. Today me and Joshua's conversation turns to the next major event on the Jewish calendar which is Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. We talk about Yom Kippur and what it is, what it points to and its significance, how it was observed anciently, and finally how it can be observed in our day and age as Mormons. And that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, the listener. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me, and it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the Donate tab. There you can make a one-time donation or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation. Your choice entirely. Now, option number two, because I'm a capitalist, if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com, click on the store button, you're going to find that we've got some new swag out. we got some t-shirts, we have a tote, we have cell phone cases, water bottles, coffee cups. we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way. So, if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So, even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you. Listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at mormonrenegade at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com, so go check that out. Well, Joshua, how's it going? It's great. Glad to be back. Back again. Um, I'm not going to tell the listeners what happened. 
Um, but it was it was spiritual. But this is the second take for the Yom Kippur uh, episode we're doing here. So, dude, I'm I'm glad that that you agreed to come back. I apologize. We got to do this again, but it's always good to talk to you. Yeah, glad to be here. Take two will be better than take one. Hopefully. Absolutely, absolutely. So, real quick, we talked about um, Rosh Hashanah last time, right. and I I love that idea of that ten day span in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where where you're just basically kind of recalibrating, right? You're putting yourself back into a place to where you're in alignment with God. Yeah, I think so often we have this idea of God being on our side. And I don't think it works like that. I think we have to be on his side. And that 10-day period. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That 10-day period, I think, is is one of those times where we can kind of realign our, our will and our bearing and, and get back with God. Um, so you talked about just doing good works, doing that sort of thing. What else do you do in that 10-day period? Uh, yeah, it is. It is just this exactly what you said. It's a it's time of introspection and repentance, and just taking stock of your life and turning back to God. And you know, last time I think I talked about the parable about the king is in the field, right? And now, you know, according to tradition, on when the trumpet blows on Rosh Hashanah, uh, then kind of the then that means like court is in session and the king is in his court. Right, and there's ten days. They're called the ten days of awe, uh, and this is kind of the last, your last time to, you know, to make yourself right with God. I like what you said. You know, being on, getting yourself on His side, that's where to be. Uh, it reminds me of the verse in uh, Isaiah uh, 55 that the Lord says, "Seek me while I am near." Right. And so this is this is the time when the Lord is near. And nearer than he's ever been, right? Sometimes people people get caught up in uh, in the symbolism of the feasts, and you know, there these fall feasts are directly connected to the second coming and all the events surrounding that. And um, so, you know, people ask me sometimes when I think that's going to happen, and you know, my answer is I don't know, but we're closer than we've ever been. So I'm sure about that. <laughs> so yeah, I I think so. And and what's interesting is is I think that everybody can kind of feel it. Right. I think that unlike other times, there's almost a general undercurrent of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. And and I think more so than ever before, we can feel it. And and so I like what we're doing here because sometimes you gotta look back in order to know where we're heading. Yeah. And and I feel like these feasts and and you put it this way in in, in the one we did about um Rosh Hashanah where where it it's an appointment. Right? That's right. Let's keep these appointments. Let's let's however you want to do it, but keep those in mind, right? And and I tend to believe that that our our predecessors in Israel knew what they were doing in in the way that they celebrated those. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So, real quick, explain to us exactly what Yom Kippur is. Okay. It's it's Yom Kippur is Hebrew. The English is Day of Atonement. So Yom is day, Kippur is atonement, which is also translated sometimes as a covering or something like that. So we're, we're talking about it is the day when the sins and the you know uncleanliness of the entire nation are taken care of by the high priest. And so it's a, it's incredibly important. 
you know, last time I talked, I talked about the, uh, maybe, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I'll talk about it now. Talk about sacred, the idea of sacred space and about, uh, making our, the earth and our habitations suitable for his presence to be among us. And that's really kind of the, uh, the point of a lot of these, um, Levitical laws, I'll say is to make a place where God can dwell among us and also to clean ourselves up so that we can endure his presence on the earth. Okay. Now there's, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. The, the instructions for Yom Kippur are found in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16. And we're going to go there in a minute, but um, first I want to, uh, like on either, on either side of Leviticus, we have this really interesting story. It's, the story's not told directly, but if you read the books together, then there's this extra little story in there. And so it goes like this. In, uh, towards the, the back side of Exodus, there's a lot of instructions for how to build the tabernacle. And there's all the detailed things about the curtains and the, um, the furnishings and, and all of that. And it's a very beautiful uh, and very expensive building. Uh, and also portable, right? Because they're in the wilderness. Right. And they, they at the end of Exodus, they finish it. And this is Exodus chapter 40. And it says, and then and, and it worked, right? Verse uh, 34 says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of Jehovah filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of congregation, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So it was so... They had built this place for God and had dedicated it. And then his presence came and dwelt there and says, even Moses was not able to go in. And then the book of Exodus like ends right there. It's a, that's it's a, a problem. Yeah. That's a funny place to just stop. Right. Like, and Moses couldn't enter and the end. <laughs> yeah. The end. And then uh, we get Leviticus, which is, you know, maybe the most, for some people anyway, maybe the most boring and tedious book. I don't know, maybe next to numbers, I don't know. But then uh, we get Leviticus with all the all the instructions about how to uh, make sure that this place stays holy for God's presence to be there, and also how to make sure that the people stay holy and clean so that they can be able to enter his presence. Um, and then we get to the book of Numbers. Um, and And the very first verse in Numbers says, and Jehovah spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day of the second month in the second year. It goes on. So anyway, so Moses is able, right after all these extra instructions are given, Moses is able to go in the tabernacle into God's presence. And that's what uh, uh, Yom Kippur is all about. is about uh, making sure that both the place and the people are clean so that they can enjoy one another's company, so to speak. That's awesome. You know, the the symbolism is so rich in there. And it's a shame that more people don't dive into those first five books of Moses. Because what I discovered is that not only is there instruction for Israel, you know, yeah. the, the, the nation of Israel, those instructions are very personal. Right? It's like all of you have to do this in order to get these blessings. All of you individually have to do your part so that the entire nation is blessed. Yeah. And I think that 
as fundamentalists and Mormons in general, we all strive for Zion, right? Right. And we forget that it's it's not like Zion is just going to pop up and then we're just going to all of a sudden be ready to inhabit Zion, right? Right. We have to build it. And and the first thing we got to do is build our ourselves and our families. And I think the the symbolism is so rich there. I just got done going through the Old Testament again. Yeah. And one of the things that that I noticed especially about, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's almost got a doctrine and covenants feel to it in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Because you're you're getting this feeling that that just like the doctrine and covenants almost entirely were responses, responses, yeah, to to That's Joseph's right. questions about how do I do this? How do I? How do we we govern ourselves? How do I administrate in these offices? I think in a very real way, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, they're doing the exact same thing, right? Moses is like, how do I govern this people? What do we need to do? And so I think. That that within these books, you, you get this idea of history repeating itself again. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to put it. There's definitely a connection there. Um, I like what you said about um, like the uh, – there's in, – in these books, we definitely get a sense of the connection to the nation that every individual has. Like, yes, these things are about the entire nation of Israel, but if everyone's not on board, then – then God can't bless, God can't be in, like, no unclean thing can be in his presence, we say that, right? Right. And, you know, that, of course, has, we can talk a lot about that, but, you know, but one person or one group of people um, not united, you know, disqualifies the whole group. And, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Jordan Peterson. I know we've talked about right. that sometimes. But he has uh, a lot to say about that. You know, he, he quotes Solzhenitsyn and stuff, Gulag Archipelago, talking about, uh, like the sins of individual people, the sins and the laziness of individual people led to cause this national catastrophe. Right. Regular people aren't doing what they're supposed to. And suddenly the world, the whole world falls apart into tyranny and awful things, you know. And so just like Jordan Peterson is famous for saying, clean up your room. Right. right. Take care of yourself. And and uh, you don't you don't realize the effect that you have on the larger society just by getting yourself in order and your own home in order. Sometimes I think we focus a lot on this, on the fact, and I think it's good that, that we are important to God, but with that importance, there's responsibility, right? Right. We have an influence that, that like a stone thrown into a pond, those ripples go out and, and we're all those stones. and, And that pond is, is society, whatever society we're in or we're seeking it has a ripple effect, and we have yeah. a certain responsibility to make sure that whatever we're sending out is is on par with what God desires for His people. Yeah, yeah. And there's, and like you said, also the other side of it is God lists out His expectations for Israel and says, "You do this, and you're going to be blessed. Right. You'll prosper in the land. If not." The land will become defiled like it was before, and I will sweep the land clean. I'll sweep you out and start over with someone else. Yeah, and and I think we miss the fact that that we are still under that national covenant, right? Yeah, absolutely, as a country and as a people. Yeah. Um, I, the, I, the Book of Mormon's full of that too. Absolutely, it says, it says this land will be 
inhabited by says a band of Christians, right? Who, right. Who worship the God of the land, which is Jehovah. And if and if not, then it will be swept clean. Right? Yep. And and it, uh, people, uh, history is so important because again, it gives it gives the backstory, it gives the direction, right? And people often gloss over that. The first act Washington does after co- the Constitutional Convention is he marches everybody down to, I want to believe it's St. Mark's in New York. Mm. And he puts everybody there under covenant. And it's the only time outside of Israel proper that a nation had made a covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's beautiful. And, Interesting. And, I had not heard that story. Yeah. No, he puts everybody under covenant that basically it, we will be your people if you will be our God and we will keep your statutes. And, and he's very deliberate in that. Mm. And in that moment, Washington is acting somewhat like a high priest. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is that is darn close to ground zero. Mm-hmm. And God always comes back to the place of covenant. There's lots of interesting. Always. And there's a lot of interesting parallels. And so, uh, it used to bug me, and I don't know if this is correct, so take this for what it is. It's from the book of Dave. Um, but Apocryphal. I, what's that? Which is one of the apocryphal books. One of the apocryphal ones. I'm sure it's in there. Just <laughs> keep looking. Um, but one thing that always used to bug me was how is America not mentioned in the Old Testament? Mm. It plays such an important role, or the New Testament. It plays such an important pivotal role, and anytime there's a major civilization, God mentions it, whether it's in prophecy or whether it's in directly by name. And it's really hard mm-hmm. to find anything about America in there. Mm-hmm. And it dawned on me when I thought about that, that by Washington making that covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, again, the only other country in the world to ever do it other than Israel. Mm-hmm. We numbered ourselves amongst Israel. Mm. Mm-hmm. We know there's a lot of blood of Ephraim here. We know yeah. that there is a lot of of the house of Israel within America. Absolutely. So that that that's one of the ways I answered that. Again, that's just from the Book of Dave, okay. page two twenty. And uh, yeah, no, I like that. Uh, but that's good. Anyway, so explain to us how Yom Kippur was um, was observed it's in observed, ancient Israel. What's so significant about it? Yeah, it is considered to be the holiest day of the year. And it's holy in many ways. There's, uh, It's holy in space, for one. So the earth is God's footstool. Right. So the earth as a whole is, <coughs> is has some holiness to it. But uh, among the earth and all the nations that are dwelling thereon, then, you know, there are promised lands that are, have this, higher holiness. And when we're talking about the promised land in the old world, then, you know, that's, you know, the nation of Israel. And in the nation of Israel, the holiest city is Jerusalem. And in the holy city, Jerusalem, the holiest place is the the temple or the tabernacle. And in the temple, the holiest place is the holy of holies. There's these six, there's even more layers than that. Um, in the temple, there's the holy place, and then the, the the outer court, and then the holy right. place, and then the holy of holies. So it's the holiest of the holiest of the holiest of the holiest place, and uh, and that is what hap- and that is the place that is in the center of what happens on Yom Kippur. And then there's this sacredness in time too. 
because again, it's the, the seventh month, which is this holy time, right, out of the year, and it's on the Day of Atonement, which is the holiest day of the, of the holiest month. And then we have um, the holiest the holiest person, too. We have, yes, we have all God's children, but of the nations, then Israel was chosen, and out of those, then the, uh, the tribe of Levi was chosen, and then out of those, there was uh, Aaron and his descendants were going to be the high priests, and then we have the high priest himself. And so, again, the holiest of the holiest of the holy. And then, and then he goes in to the holiest place at the holiest time and says the holiest things. And so it's a very, very reverent time. Um, and it's, it's interesting. A lot of the other, um, the other feast days of the Lord, we talk about the feast days in Leviticus 23. They're all laid out there <clears throat> and they are all feasts. They're all referred to as feasts. Um, at one point, or I mean, generally they're referred to as feasts, except for uh, Yom Kippur, which is considered to be a fast day. So it's actually a day to afflict yourselves, it says, and to rest. Um, and I'll just, I'll just read it here. This is in Leviticus 23, uh, starting at verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month, which is the day of Yom Kippur, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto Jehovah. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before Jehovah your God. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in the same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I, will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth, uh, on the ninth day of the month at even, from evening to evening, shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. So, um, I mean, it really, the uh, it's like repeated over and over. Don't do anything afflict your souls don't do everything don't do any work afflict your souls so basically it's this is uh, this is the sabbath of sabbaths so it is a day to rest and reflect and to do nothing and then and it's interesting that a lot of the other um yeah like as i mentioned the other feast days there's a lot of participation from those who are celebrating it on the day of atonement uh, it is all about uh, the work of the high priest. He is, this is his day to shine, so to speak, and to perform an atonement for Israel. And of course, um, it doesn't take much um, figuring out to realize that this is a very strong type and shadow of the work that Jesus did, right, as the great high priest. So I'm getting, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm getting this idea that uh, that maybe um the work that the high priest is doing isn't necessarily um observed by most of the congregation of Israel correct that is correct yeah actually no one sees no one actually directly sees uh what is done and that's kind of one of the the beautiful things actually uh, one of the symbol symbolic things you know the high priest and you can read about you know the garb that the high priest wears and it's beautiful it's uh, you know, made out of uh, red 
you know, threads that are dyed red and blue and purple, and also uh, actual threads of gold, like all woven together to make his robe and, um, and you know, part of his uh, the breastplate. And there's precious stones, and they have, you know, settings in gold. And he's got a gold, solid gold plate on his forehead that has the words inscribed, Holiness to the Lord. And, um, and, and, Anyway, it's just, uh, it's, it's just like extravagant. The beauty of the high priest's garments are tremendous. Right. <clears throat> and he wears, the high priest wears those normally. But when the high priest does his work on the Day of Atonement, he actually uh, sets all of that glory aside and dresses himself up as a regular priest. He's only wearing white linen, which is the, the standard priestly attire for the Levitical priest. And, and then he does his, does his work in the Holy of Holies, uh, dressed like any other priest. Like you can't tell by looking, um, that he is the high priest. And this is, this is a remarkable thing because in, of course, this is similar to what Jesus, right? right? Yeah. Jesus, uh, the book of Mormon talks about Jesus condescending, right? Setting aside the glory that he had to come down to earth. And, you know, Isaiah says in, in Isaiah 53, he says that the Messiah will have no form or comeliness that we should desire him. Like he's not going to, he's not going to be impressive looking. Right. And we won't know that, you know, unless you're watching and waiting, you won't know that it's, that the Messiah is arrived because he's just going to be like any other man. I mean, this was a, um, a common I think objection to Jesus in Jerusalem. You know, they would say the leaders or you know the people in Jerusalem would say, like we have, like we know this man, we know his family, we know his brothers and sisters here. Like he's just he's from Galilee, he's just a normal guy, and he so he's making these claims that we don't believe it because there's nothing special that we can see. Yeah, no, there, there's a yeah, there's so many types and shadows there of of. The high priest being a, a type and shadow of of Christ Himself, yeah, doing that work that because you think about it, I mean, the only witnesses to the atonement are really, especially the garden portion, are are a few of His inner circle, right? A, a few right. of the inner circle, and even they fall asleep, and and so this idea that that. The high priest is doing that work without anybody watching. Right, strikes me as significant. There's, there's a speaking of apocryphal books we mentioned earlier. There's one apocryphal book called the Ascension of Isaiah, mm -hmm. and in it, Isaiah has this vision where he's there's this angel that takes him up through the various levels of heaven, and he goes at each level. He sees. Uh, the, the beings who are there and he sees how they're dressed and he sees their glory and they're praising, you know, the, the Lord and um, so on. And, and the angel takes him on this tour of heaven. And when he gets up, <coughs> every level he goes up, it's, it's brighter and more glorious and more beautiful and more awe-inspiring. And, you know, he, he gets up to the sixth heaven and he says, this is, the, the glory is so overwhelming. All the other levels of heaven. Like I thought those were amazing, but those are just dark in comparison. Right. And he finally gets up to the, uh, the seventh heaven and he sees 
the son of man and and basically is handed off to the son of man and the son of man's going to take him back down through the levels but uh, when he does that and then he's going to come to earth and <clears throat> and be the messiah but he does that and uh, as he's as he's going down all of the uh, the son of man uh you know which is you know pre you know Jesus basically right um disguises himself so that he looks like just the regular old angels right regular old, you know the beings that are at each level he disguises himself and Isaiah's kind of amazed at this that no one in the the levels of heaven recognize who he's with and he finally comes down you know to earth and it's just um you know just man so um, I want to go back to something real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah. And that was in the prescription of, of how the Yom Kippur was kept. What do you think it means there when it talks about it's a time for rest and it afflicting your soul? Yeah. What well, do you think they're talking about there? That's good. Um, I I do think that it is it is referring to fasting. Okay. Uh, but – you could certainly be uh, fasting of all sorts. You know, I've heard, I've never been to Israel, but I've heard that on Yom Kippur that it is it is deathly quiet. Like people don't even turn on their TVs, or radios, or whatever. And there's you know there'll be children riding their bicycles on the freeway and stuff like that because there's no traffic. Everything shuts down completely, and everyone's just kind of waiting in anticipation. So, um, I mean, it is, it is the final day. This is, this is the, the other, uh, besides forgiveness, uh, one of the, one of the things that Yom Kippur is also pointing towards is judgment, is the final judgment. And so this is the, this is the last day, you know, symbolically speaking, to get your, to repent, right. to get on the, to become, to get yourself on the Lord's side, like, as you mentioned earlier. So, yeah, so I think that could, that could, that affliction of your soul could take a variety of um, forms. Um, but we do want to be careful, I think, not to uh, afflict our souls the way the hypocrites do, like Jesus. Right. Says, right? They, they fast and they, you know, they moan and complain and, uh, you know, put ashes on their face and those kind of things and tell everyone how hungry they are all the time. Um but you want to do like what says in Isaiah chapter 58, which says, this is the fast that I have ordained, which is to um, meet the needs of your fellow people, right? To uh, feed the hungry and visit the poor and all the things that it says. Are you familiar with? Yeah. Am I ringing, is it ringing bells? Here? Isaiah 58. Yep. Um, so that's the fast is to, uh, yes, to... Make yourself uncomfortable, uh, and at the same time, uh, serve others. You know, without complaining about your own discomfort. Right, just set yourself aside for a day, and uh, and do something for other people. And you know, in in that way, we kind of part- we we do participate. We partake in some small sense in the work of Messiah. Right, right. to pour him. He poured himself out. Um, right for our behalf, right, and uh, and laid his life down for his friends, which he says, "Greater love has no man 
and he laid down his life for his friends. And so uh, it's a day of service and to just, yeah, set yourself aside. You know, it's, as, as I was thinking about that, I, I think that it's probably, and, and maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, in, in maybe a more um, holy expression than, than what we're used to doing every week as we partake of the sacrament, maybe that's the time to focus on that broken heart and contrite spirit as well. Absolutely. Because I, I get this feeling that, you know, uh, whether you're participating by being of service to another or whether you're at home just contemplating the work that's done by the high priest, it, you also have to have this recognition of, I'm kind of to blame for this too, right? I mean, I've done these things and, yeah. and look at what I've done. And, and your sins and your carelessness. Right. Now it's time to to have that taken care of. But with that, there's a a uh, almost a commission to do better from that point forward. Yeah. Right? And, and And then a sense of gratitude that God's given you a way out. That's absolutely right. Yeah, you. Uh, I like what you said about the, uh, like the, the part that we have to play. Like we all, so, some of those, some of those drops of blood that Jesus sweat right in the garden were for you and for me. Yep. And uh, just knowing that is just knowing the the great lengths that he would go to bring us back in provide a way for us to come back in is humbling. Yeah. And uh, so that humility is, I think, super important, that recognition. In fact, uh, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but now is probably a good time. Um, if you go to uh, Leviticus chapter 4, I'm going to read, I'm just going to quickly read a couple yeah. of things. So, um, Leviticus chapter 4 is all about what to do when uh, people sin, and in particular, what to do when, not in particular, I will say only, what to do when people sin uh, in ignorance, okay, not knowing what they're doing. So Leviticus 4, 2, and we're not going to read all of it, but just say, uh, so speaking of the children of Israel, if a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of Jehovah concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, um, then it says, you know, what the person's going to do and the priest is going to do. And, you know, verse 13, and if, if the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance, right, if everyone forgets, which has happened in Israel's history before, they forget that they're supposed to be keeping the Passover, right? Josiah has a big reformation right. Right, about this. Okay. <coughs> if they sin through ignorance and the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of Jehovah. Um, and then, you know, it goes on and, you know, verse 22 says when a ruler of the people, you know, the king or one of the elders or the judges or whatever, when a ruler has sinned and done somewhat through ignorance against any of the commandments of Jehovah, his God concerning things which should not be done and is guilty. And then it goes on with what should be done. And verse 27, if any of the common people sin through ignorance while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord, uh, and then it goes on and you go to numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 15 is another good chapter for this. I'm going to go there. Uh, Numbers 15, verse 22. If, if ye have erred and not observed all these commandments which the Lord has spoken unto Moses, even all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses, um, 
from the day that the Lord commanded Moses, and henceforward among your generations, then it shall be, if aught be committed by ignorance without the knowledge of the congregation, then all the congregation will yeah, do this and that. And um, and verse 27, if, if any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-goat in the first year of sin offering. It goes on. Um, so now the interesting thing about all of these references, and there's others that we could list too, is that every single thing that the law can take care of, every single thing that you can actually be forgiven of in, in the entire, uh, in the entire old Testament. And I would argue new Testament as well. I would argue that this is still the case is that uh, you cannot be forgiven of intentional sins. Now that's a, that's a pretty rough thing to say because who has not sinned intentionally or knowingly, you know, raise your hand, you know, right. me, I have, Okay, so what what is the what is the solution if you sin intentionally? Well, it says in Numbers fifteen, verse thirty. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth Jehovah, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of of the Lord, and has broken his commandment. That soul shall utterly be cut off; his iniquity shall be upon him. Like that's it. Like the your iniquity is on you, and you get cut off. Like you get pushed out of the. Like we can't have you here, among this holy people. So that's a pretty rough, uh, thing. That that's that's the only solution. Now, um, you know, there is talk in the New Testament, you know, and in uh, Mormon history, you know, about what constitutes an unpardonable sin. Right. And uh, there's, you know, there's kind of some various answers you'll get. There's some kind of general consensus. This is like some serious things like murder or uh, denying the Holy Ghost, right? Joseph Smith, I don't have the quote in front of me, but you'll probably recognize it, said something about, at least about the sons of perdition, that's like looking at the sun and um, saying that the sun doesn't exist or something like that. It's like, it's a defiant act. And I think that really is at the, at the heart of um, uh, of what is unforgivable is that uh, def- and there and there is a, a difference I will say too uh, between deliberate and defiant right and as long as as long as there is defiance in someone's heart uh, then there's no there's no forgiveness there because forgiveness requires that humility that broken heart and contrite spirit. So, so what's the solution to all of this? It is, it is humility. It is regret. It is, um, it is you realize the harm you've done, not only to the person, but to yourself, to the nation and, you know, to the savior. And when there is this change of heart and, uh, and there's this regret, then there's this magical thing that happens where the intentional sin becomes sin committed in ignorance. Right. Because, uh, and why, you know, why is that? Because you can imagine, um, you know, speaking to God about this or something at the judgment bar. Right. And God says, you did this thing, you broke this commandment and you knew that that was, that you were breaking it. And, uh, and your response is yes, but I, I, 
I, it was, I thought it would be great, but I feel so bad about it. I regret it now. I regret what I did. And, uh, and the Lord says, you know, so if you knew then how you would have, how you would feel about it, then are you telling me you would not have done it? And you say, yes, I would not have done it if I had known that I would feel this way now. And he says, well, then, then you committed it in, in ignorance. Right. And so it will not be, you know, in part. So then we can forgive that because it's not in defiance. You know, one of the things that always struck me, especially about uh, the, the, the first five books of Moses, was there was a lot of death in there for screwing up. Potentially, yes, yeah. There was there oh, was there, then there was actually right? yeah not only potential but actual yeah severe and, punishment sometimes and that used to bug me because I used to I used to be like yeah I get I get the atonement right I, or I get as much as I can the atonement right you talk about the atonement and that thing's vast and expansive and you know eternal but I'm like how does how does the justice square with that. Well, there's there's this idea that Christ paid for that death and and whatnot, but I think it goes deeper for us even than that. And I I remember the thinking about this a lot when I was first coming into Mormonism when I was joining the LDS Church, and uh, my my mom was a Catholic and my dad was a Southern Baptist, so I got plenty of hellfire and brimstone, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I understood that good combination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understood that that while God was certainly um, merciful, that mercy didn't necessarily mean that you were going to skip the consequence of what you did. That just meant that there was forgiveness somewhere. Yeah. And so it used to bug me with all these prescriptions in the Old Testament of of death. But I remember I'd been a Mormon for maybe five years, and I still struggled with this a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. I, I knew in my heart that I'd been forgiven, but the the academic side of me just ate at me, like, yeah, yeah but but there's all these other other things. And what occurred to me one day, as as I was just contemplating my place before God, is that in some ways, when repentance happens that old person does die right as as i look back at who i was before um my conversion i'm not the same guy right i i delighted in doing things that were just absolutely messed up right i have no other way to say it i uh I've often said, if I, you know, I never will, but if I did run for public office, if someone was to come to me and say, hey, we have this picture of you in this compromising position, I'd have to be like, is it pre-1996? <laughs> if so, then yeah, you, you got me. You got me. You got me, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to debate that. But looking back, it seems like a different person, mm. right? And so I think we all go through this time where, where we <laughs> – for lack of a better word, we kill the old man, right? We kill, we kill yeah. the guy who who we used to be, yeah. or the woman we used to be, and we come again cleansed in newness of life. Yeah, Romans six. Yeah, says we're we're baptized unto death. Right. right, but it's still a very intentional act, right? There has to be the recognition that, hey, I've screwed up. I've made some mistakes here, and in order to fix this, old parts of me 
have to pass away. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. So I, I, I think sometimes we think that, that Christ's atonement just completely did away with anything that Moses ever talked about. Yeah. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And, and perhaps the assumptions we made when we first read those things were from, were too much slanted towards the temporal. Right. Yeah. You know what, too? Those, uh, those harsh, I mean, and there were, there were people who were executed. <coughs> uh, but it, uh, in the history of Israel, those things are actually quite rare. Yep. In, um, you know, in the, you know, in the times, uh, around, you know, Jesus's day, the Sanhedrin, um, they were, they were loath to put someone to death, even for, well, they put Jesus to death, but the general, the general Israelite, um, even, even in cases of adultery and things, which is clearly a death deserving, um, offense, uh, according to the law, those, uh, that sentence of death was understood to be like a maximum, right? Maximum, uh, uh, sentence. It's kind of like what we do now. Like we have, yeah. the judges have this leeway and depending on the, the circumstances of the case, they can, you know, do anywhere from five years to life or whatever, you know, maybe. And so the death penalty is kind of that maximum possible sentence, but they would not normally put people to death. Um, it would, you know, are they repentant? Did they really understand what they were doing? I mean, it, they would, the, uh, the, the principle of innocent till proven guilty, like the assumption of innocence was, is embedded in the Torah. And that is a uh, part of, you know, the, the Israelite judicial system as much as it is in ours. And so, uh, people were given every benefit of the doubt, um, and were, and were, uh, given opportunities to make amends and so on. And a lot of that stuff too about, you know, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Again, those things are not, those things aren't necessarily, uh, literal either. We, 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 we tend to view those things as overly harsh. Um, but you know, as an eye for an eye example, you know, maybe you, you did, you get in a, you get in a fight, you're stupid with your neighbor and you poke his eye out or something like that. And, uh, they're not just going to poke your eye out because then that just takes away from your, you know, the ability of the whole community to have right. productive people. So what they do is they'll say, they'll ask the man who has his eye poked out, how much is your eye worth? Right. And he'll say, you know, whatever, say 50,000 shekels or, or whatever it is. Uh, and then the judge will look at the man and poke the eye out and says, well, what do you think about that? And he's like, oh, that's a lot. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they can come to an agreement. Maybe it's, maybe they agree on 40,000 shekels. And then the judge says, make your payments. Yeah. And, he, and he nods to a, a hot iron in the fire over there. Right. So yeah, you're not going to get your eye poked out, but. If you if you say no, I don't I don't agree, or I'm going to fight against this, you know, then maybe you would, but right. But that's not the that's not the go to. You know, there's there's a couple things, and, and and I love that because that that is true. I took a course in in uh, uh, Hebrew to tradition and history, and one of the things that they had had pointed out was is that unlike where we're at now, I think it started out this way in America, but somehow it's been been perverted and twisted the the jewish you know penal system if you will yeah it was designed 
to restore that it's person yes. who had been, you know, afflicted, right? That's right. It, while certainly doling out punishment was, was a part of that, more than anything else, it was meant to be restorative. And I think we've lost that to a certain oh, extent. Absolutely have. And uh, Skousen points that out as well in a series he called the Thousand Years series where it goes yeah. through the Old Testament. I think we need to get back to that, right? We, back we, to we restorative. We commit a crime and we pay the government a fine. Instead of, right. Instead of restoring our neighbor. Right. Is, right. And there's no, uh, there's no jails. No. In the Torah. No. Like you, you commit a crime, you pay it off. Like we want you out doing work still. Yeah. And you pay it off and then everything's good. And, and we just keep moving along. We don't pay to keep you locked up and, and take the people who are working. We take their money to pay for, yep. to support this guy who's now not working because we want to punish him. Yeah. It's just crazy. No. And, and I think that also, and, and I think this, points out maybe the corruption in our own system now. There is nothing to be gained by jailing people for a lot of the things we jail them for. Oh, it's ridiculous. Right? I, I think that that we're too quick to use that and and there's, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole and you start looking at the corporations that run the prison. I think people have this idea that, oh, those are all state run. No, they're state funded. But there are they're private contracts. They're right? private contracts. And so uh, there's there's definitely a push to have um, have certain people in there. So I like this idea of going back, so to speak, to this idea of uh, a restorative kind of system, right? It is better. It's superior. It, it's far superior. And the, the other thing is, is that it is less concerned with violating um, social norms and is more concerned with how have you treated your neighbor and, and yeah. has it been good? It is so. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think at some point we'll, we'll have to get back to that idea of being restorative. And really that's what the atonement was about too, was yeah. just restoring. No doubt. That's, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I agree. I, I would love to see that kind of reform. So now, um, so back to Yom Kippur, you know, how, it, how would they do that? I mean, what would the pre- the high priest do? Actually, I, I want to say one other thing that was that's kind of pointing to. Uh, there's a bunch of things that obviously point to his work, but one of them, uh, really interesting. This is Leviticus 16, as I mentioned. This is kind of the the main place where the instructions are found for what the high priest does. And this is verse 32, and the priest, whom. Uh, whom he shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement. And shall put on linen clothes, even the holy garments, and make an atonement for the sanctuary. It goes on. But it's it's very interesting. It says specifically that the high priest, which does this, is doing it in his father's stead. In other words, he's doing what his father did before him. Ooh, there's mm. some illusions. Yeah, yeah. So, really beautiful. So, what does he do? Um, first of all, there's a there's a, a bowl that he offers uh, for it to cleanse himself and the priesthood. And then the main thing is the, the two goats that are offered. And these, these are um, I, as two identical goats, as identical as they can make them. And they cast lots over the goats. And one of them says is for Jehovah. And the other one is for Azazel. And so the one that's for uh, Jehovah... Uh, this is the one that goes into the tabernacle and its blood gets sprinkled on 
the Holy of Holies. <clears throat> and uh, and is in, in the purpose of that one is to cleanse the the tabernacle basically and to make the tabernacle uh clean from all of the unintentional kind of accumulation of uh, uncleanness that may have happened in the previous year so that so that God can still come down and be in their presence that's the that's the idea it's to uh, clean the the place because God says even their you know, their sins will not their sins don't only pollute themselves they pollute the land right and and pollution um you know uncleanness when you read about it in the in the torah it's it's contagious it um you can transfer it transfers from a person to person right and there's like this symbolic really symbolic lesson about kind of what we were talking about before about each person's uh actions have this ripple effect that goes out from them and and you know the the cleanliness laws were, were part of teaching that that concept I think. So the other the other goat though uh, goes free. Now the high priest you know puts his hands on the head of the goat and pronounces all the sins of the people on the goat, and basically this goat carries them away to Azazel. And Azazel is uh, an interesting word, and has been uh, interesting because it's uncertain its its meaning is uncertain right so and that may be intentional because it probably has more than one meaning there's hebrew is uh full of puns and these, yes these words that have more than one meaning or these words that are very similar and it's in sound and so we can you know draw connections there so anyway one of the one of the translations of azazel is the scapegoat or the goat that escapes uh which it does they send it out this the, the scriptures say to send it out into the wilderness uh, traditionally they would take they would, they would give it to some priest and he would lead it uh, you know on a leash like 10 miles out into the wilderness and the other uh the other meaning of azazel is that it's uh, it's very likely a proper name and now a proper name for uh for a demon for like a, a, this is a this is one of the names of lucifer essentially gotcha and um and the idea is that uh lucifer has Dominion or power, you know, out in, out in the desert, in this wilderness area. And, you know, Jerusalem is, and Israel is, is holy and the Lord's, but, you know, out in the wilderness, you know, that's where the devil has his power, so to speak. And you so know, that's, go ahead. That's interesting too, because that will come up again in Israel's history with this idea of the, 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 had the Lord having a specific place, right? Jerusalem. Yeah, but the Lord has a capital. Right. If you look at what happens in the Old Testament, especially around Jeremiah, where the worship of uh, Canaanite gods come into play, that's all done out in the wilderness. And that's yeah. done with a very um, almost environmentalist feel when you start digging into it. Interesting. Yeah. And and so you yeah, know the sacred trees and stuff. turning the the fields back you know feral again as an offering to to Baal those sorts of things so well <clears throat> nothing's uh, like it says in the Ecclesiastes nothing new under the sun right exactly it's we we repeat that same process over and over it's just packaged differently for modern consumption amazing um. Yeah, so this this goat with all the sins of the people basically gets uh, taken out to the wilderness at and and not as an offering to Azazel, 
but the the idea is that all these all this unclean all this uncleanliness and sins are basically getting dumped right. in his backyard like on his head and um in uh, the scriptures don't <clears throat> require anything other than it be taken out into the, the wilderness but later on at some point uh, they decided we really need to do something to make sure this goat doesn't come wandering back into camp you know after a couple of days or whatever and so they would take him, take it out to the wilderness uh, as prescribed and then the priest would basically push it off a cliff down into the pit so to speak and and to make sure that the goat didn't come back you know, and that's got some interesting parallels, too, because when Christ casts out all the demons out of the one man and puts them in swine, where do the swine go? Yeah, they run. Over the cliff. Over the cliff and into to their death, right? Yep. Drowned. But, uh, yeah, so there's, I mean, in, in the Revelation, Revelation talks about uh, the, the bottom, you know, the pit uh, where, I don't know if it says bottomless, but the pit where the you know, the demons are kept in chains and so on. So there's definitely some parallels there. Right. Um, and parallels too with um, uh, when, you know with Jesus and his work. There's a there's a, a little echo of of that where they have the, the two two goats as identical as possible, and um, one of them gets killed and the other gets set free. And this kind of happened with Jesus too, right? He's, he goes to Pilate, and you know they ins- before any any time the uh, sacrificial animals are brought, uh, they're inspected. They go through a number of inspections to make sure that they are right. suitable, right? We don't want something that has a, a twisted horn or a, a you know a chipped hoof or you know any kind of other you know blemish. Blemish, exactly. So of course uh, Jesus goes through these examinations. He's examined by um, you know the high priest and by Pilate and the San the whole Sanhedrin and um, and then there's these two identical or as close as possible. So. Uh, goats are presented in jesus's case it's jesus and there's another man another prisoner his name is uh barabbas right down the time barabbas yeah barabbas barabbas yeah so which that and that name means bar means is aramaic for son and abbas is father so yeah jesus and the son of the father they're the, the two right. people presented right so there's so there's a uh, of course, Barabbas wasn't actually a bad guy. He was actually a bad guy, but but um, their names are the same, right. basically. Yeah, right. And so they're presented, and and you know, one of them gets set free, and one of them gets sacrificed. Right. <clears throat> so, so that's kind of a beautiful thing. Um, <coughs> now, the all of the feasts, and including Yom Kippur, which is a fast, but they all they all have both uh, commemoration. A part as a part of it, and mm-hmm. also uh, there are shadows of things to come in the future. So when we're talking about Yom Kippur, the thing that's coming in the future is the final judgment. It's the end of right. the days of awe. This is when the books are closed. Um, this is when the sheep are separated from the goats, and uh, and and all of that. Um, but when we uh, when there's as far as the memorial piece, uh, this commemorates when Israel received the law. Okay. Was on Yom Kippur. And some of your listeners might think that's a little strange because you know, they may know that the law was given at Mount Sinai on or near uh, Shavuot, which is the Feast of Weeks. It's in the New Testament known as Pentecost. 
Um, but uh, the law was given then, but wasn't actually received by Israel then because right. of the whole golden calf thing, right? They're all there at the mountain, bottom of the mountain, and they hear uh, God's voice. He comes down. There's the sound of the shofar, right? And the, and the darkness and the lightning and the thunder and the fire. And um, it's a fearful experience. And they basically tell Moses, you need to go up to talk to Jehovah because we're we are we can't take it it's too much too intense so he goes up um for 40 days and the the first the first set of tablets uh this is in you know Exodus chapter 24 the first set of tablets um says Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders they all went up um partway kind of into the mountain there and they saw this is verse 10 of Exodus 24. They saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. So this beautiful stone. And um, Ezekiel has a vision of God's throne room and also sees this, this blue stone that the throne room and even God's throne is made of. And then... Um, uh, Moses actually went into the, went up further, um, and, and it says, um, uh, let's see, oh, oh, verse 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, come up unto me in the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments, which I have written that thou mayest teach them. So the very first set of tablets, the Lord actually gives to Moses directly. The Lord wrote on them with his own finger. And, um, and the only stone mentioned is this stone that's in the throne room, this blue sapphire. Right. So, um, it is very likely that the original tablets were blocks of sapphire stone, uh, which is you know, very hard and beautiful. And the law was written on that. And, and Moses ends up breaking those, uh, when he comes down and finds the people are all perverting themselves and uh, worshiping the golden calf. Right. Um, but that uh, that color blue, uh, which is mentioned throughout the scriptures, right? The high priest's garment for one is, has this thread right. of blue. And, but those are, uh, those are supposed to remind people of, of the commandments, which were originally on this sapphire stone. Um, or the translation may also read uh, lapis lazuli, but, which is another beautiful blue stone. Um, so they don't they don't get the tablets then, and uh, there's a big uh, there's a little there's a little civil war right. Uh, some of the people are actually killed there right um, by the Levites who are, remain faithful, and uh, Aaron escapes somehow, <laughs> but uh, um, he's very uh, re- repentant. And so, uh, but Moses says, "I need to go back up into the mountain." So now that that first time when he goes up in the mountain, he's fasting. It's forty days, and uh, he goes. He turns around right after that and goes right back up for forty more days, and is fasting and pleading with the Lord to intercede. And uh, this is where he says, "You know, if you if someone's going to be blotted out of the book of life, blot me out um, and save them." And and he has a little discussion back and forth with the Lord, and finally the Lord says, "I'll uh, will." I will forgive them. 
and uh, you know, because of your intercession. So a uh, really beautiful thing there. And then, uh, then the scriptures say that Moses, after that, stays for another 40 days fasting. And this time he gets the tablets, uh, but God says, you're going to need to start chiseling. Like you, right. you need to write these. You are going to write on these. Uh, Exodus 34 says you write on these, everything that was on the last ones minus the, the higher the law. Higher law. Yeah. I'm going to, he says, I'm going to give them, they're still going to be my people. I'm going to, I'm going to give them uh, the lower stuff, which was on the first tablets, but we're going to withhold the priesthood. So it's like you said, there is forgiveness, but there's still a consequences. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think so often, and, and it really jumped out at me the last time I, uh, I went through the Old Testament. Often we look at Moses as the lawgiver, right? Yeah. Which he was. Yeah. Absolutely. But for whatever reason, we tend to forget that Moses is constantly, you know, advocating for the children of Israel. Constantly. There are several times where the Lord's like, I'm done. I can't, you know, I can't work <laughs> with him. And it takes Moses going, now, hold on, let, you know, how about this, right? Yeah. And and the Lord, and several times, uh, the Lord says, for your sake, Moses, yeah. for your sake, I'll work with him more, but we're going to do this now, That's right? It. And and it it's so interesting to me that somehow Moses' humanity and love gets lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. I think that there's this conception about Moses and about the whole law about that it's all just very harsh. Right. When in fact, uh, there is plenty, plenty of mercy and forgiveness uh, throughout the Old Testament too. But it's also it's also not pulling any punches about how right. serious God is about having uh, a holy people. Yeah. You know, and that's the one thing that I think we lose as Mormons or Christians is just how rich that symbolism was. I, I mean, I, I have one friend who uh, who's Jewish who, who tells me, we'll never have milk at the same meal when we have meat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, why is that? And he's like, you never mix life and death, mm-hmm. ever. And it's that sort of symbolism and richness that I think we could really benefit from as a people. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a very rich culture of symbolism and tradition. Yep. Now, so so Moses fasts uh, three consecutive sets of 40 days. And so when you when you count those off um, from uh, the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot, uh, you will, <clears throat> the first two, uh, 80 days, 80 days will bring you to the beginning of the sixth month. And then 40 days will take you through the sixth month, which is you know, 30 days-ish, and and then 10 days into the seventh month, and you will land right on Yom Kippur. Hmm. So this is this is this is uh, part of the celebration of Yom Kippur. Part of the remembrance is that this is when we actually received God's word. Right. And right. Moses, Moses brings down these tablets, and these endure. These are what gets put into the Ark of the Covenant. Right, we have these stone tablets in this golden box, and now I'm going to tie it into the restoration because we have we have some interesting things to say about these as well. So 
last time we talked about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, how Joseph received, I mean, Joseph went to a gold box, uh, he instead a stone box, right, and got right. a golden plates, golden record, uh, which is interesting because it's kind of the, the inverse. inverse, yeah. Yep. And that was on on the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, and but of course people were at, people knew about the plates coming forth. Right. knew that Joseph was getting close to getting them and people were watching him and so on. So as soon as he received them, he did not take them home. And the historical record says that he hid them in the woods for 10 days. And then... Which is the same 10-day period between Rosh Hashanah and... Yeah. So when Joseph actually uh, actually got the the plates uh, so that he could start reading them and, uh, you know, have them to start working on them. That was also on Yom Kippur. So that's another thing that we can, when Yom Kippur comes, we can think about, think about that as well. Wow. So beautiful things. You know, and I suppose to a certain extent, Joseph does his work of translating unseen. Uh, He does. Yeah. And he, he is, he is the high priest. Yeah. In, uh, right. He has, um, he has the breastplate and the Yerman Thummim. Yeah, so had. he's almost fulfilling that kind of again in a, in a way where he's not seen, right? We've all seen the the pictures of yeah, the, 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 curtain, the or curtain or whatever, and no one else sees it for a while. They end up seeing it, you know, the witnesses at the end. But no one sees the work happen, Yeah, right, which is an interesting parallel is, as well. Right. Yeah, that's good. So last thing I'll say, I guess. Um, about this is, we've we've covered a lot of the points really well. But um, oh, I will say one other thing I forgot no, to mention. You're good. But during those during the ten uh, for Yom Kippur, basically we do we just have a we just have a Sabbath. Uh, it's not going to it's not on it, a Sabbath whenever that happens during the week. So uh, we'll take a re- we'll have a rest day and it'll just be a day of reading. It's traditional to read the Book of Jonah okay. uh, on Yom Kippur because that's all about. Repentance, right? Not right. only Jonah's repentance, but Nineveh and about and about the mercy that we're talking about. Jonah's kind of upset that God's so merciful, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and and Lord's like, what would you rather like that city is full of people who are my children? Like aren't aren't I'm I'm so much happier that they repented than that I had to destroy them. Like I'd much right. rather um spare them. So so read the book of Jonah and during those days of awe, we're also going to um get together and do baptisms. Uh, and that's going to be on October 2nd, which is a Sunday. We're going to meet at 3 p.m. at Willow Park in Lehigh. It's right on the right on the banks of the Jordan River there. And so these are not going to be baptisms, you know, to join any group or anything right. like that. These are just for, um, uh, you know, to repent and to just renew your commitment. Get on God's side. Get on God's side. I like that. That's what the... Our slogan for this episode, <laughs> right? Get on God's side. Yeah. So that's going to be at three p.m. And then, and then we'll um, um, we'll probably um, have a, like a sacrament meeting and stuff after that uh, for anyone who's interested. On now, when exactly uh, Yom Kippur is is going to depend on whether or not we see the new moon, right? Uh, and we're I'm we're planning on that. Uh, this is Sunday now, the twenty fifth. Right? So we're planning on. Uh, we're hoping to see it tomorrow evening. Uh, if we don't, then it will then it will be it will certainly be the following day. So, 
So Yom Kippur is going to be either, you know, October 6th or 7th. And so we usually get together and have kind of break the fast nice. after that. And so there'll be information about that on the website, on, on uh, the Facebook, Facebook page. page. Yeah, that's what I should say. So Awesome. So real quick, and, and you kind of mentioned it before, two questions before we wrap this up I have. As a believer in the restored gospel, a Mormon, how do you celebrate Yom Kippur? Um, it's, uh, well, there's a couple of things. Uh, we have, I mentioned last time we have these YouTube playlists. Right. So we have songs and, uh, you know, short little messages about Yom Kippur that we, that we play. And we'll start, we'll start playing those as soon as Rosh Hashanah is over. Basically. Right. And so it kind of gets us into the mood, uh, thinking about these things, thinking about the work that the high priest did anciently, thinking about the work that Jesus did as our high priest, thinking about uh, the Book of Mormon, the Golden Plates, thinking about judgments that's coming. Think about uh, my relationships with my family, my wives and my children, uh, my neighbors, my, my brothers and sisters, both literally and, you know, brothers and sisters in the gospel. And what can I do to make things right because there you know, there have been people that I have offended. There have been uh you know ways that I have been even if not intentional, there's times when I've been careless. Right. And uh times when I've taken for granted my relationship with God and my relationship with my fellow men in one way or another. And so it's time for introspection and for making those things right. Apologizing to people. Um Coming to a state of oneness, right? right. Atonement with uh, both man and God. So. Then my last question. How do you feel going into Yom Kippur versus coming out of it? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, going in, it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a somber thing. Like the scriptures say, like you're not supposed to do anything except afflict your souls. And then you just hope and you, you have faith on the work that the high priest is doing. And, uh, and, and and there's there's a, a sense of anticipation, uh, but then when it's finished and the work is done, the work of the high priest is done, then there's an atmosphere of of uh, celebration. We have our our break the fast, and it's a and it's a it's a jubilant time. So so going in, it's uh, somber, and coming out is joyful, and that's kind of the way the uh, the atonement is too. There's a, a fearful trembling going in, but then when it's done and it's finished, then there's nothing to do but rejoice about it. Yeah, absolutely. And spread the spread kind it. of a, a feeling of renewal. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Yeah, and that is, it is that. So awesome. All right, Josh, you're the man. You're a stud. I always appreciate talking to you. I love it. It's great. Thank you for having me. All right. Next one is Tabernacles. Right. That's correct. All right. Look forward to talking to you then. Bye, everybody.